Hello and welcome to another episode of Where Butterflies Come From. In this show, we read fairy tales from all over the world and react to them in real time. Hope you like listening as much as we like making it. Enjoy! Take. Unless it's take. <laughs> but I doubt it. Take is like this, what does Yamamoto Take mean? Yamamoto is Shanbenzhu. Yam, what? Yamato. 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 The prince of Yamato Take. The insignia of the great Japanese empire is composed of three treasures, which have been considered sacred and guarded with jealous care from time immemorial. These are the Yatano no Kagami. Or the mirror of Yata. Mm. <laughs> okay, so they, they. Mirrors are in their folklore. Uh huh. Okay, so you would think that people it's know like what it is. Mysterious thing for them. <laughs> uh huh. Mm. The. Oh, Baba. The Yasakami no Magatama, or the jewel of the Yasakami, and the Morakumo no Tsurugi, or the sword of the Moramuko. Morakumo. Of these three treasures of the empire, the sword of Morakumo, afterwards known as the Kusanagi no Tsurugugi, or the grass cleaving sword, is considered the most precious and most highly to be honored. Most highly to be honored. Sorry. Why <laughs> did you do that? I had to be a little bit. Okay. For it is the symbol of strength to this nation of warriors and the talisman of invincibility for the emperor. While he holds it sacred in the shrine of his ancestors. But you cannot kill me. I have this sword. Oh, I think they love to yeah, keep these things. Relics. Mm -hmm. Nearly 2,000 years ago, this sword was kept at the shrines of Ite, the temples dedicated to the worship of Amaterasu, the great and beautiful sun goddess, from whom the Japanese emperors are said to be descended. There is a story of knightly adventure and daring. Ugh, why can't we just switch, jump to that <laughs> already? There is a story of knightly adventure and daring which explains why the name of the sword was changed from that of Morakumo to Kusanagi, which means grass clearing. That is not the story we'll be, <laughs> we will be reading today. No, I'm kidding. It is. So this is a story about why the name of sword is changed? Oh, I... I know you've been asking about this for a long time. And well, today I'm going to placate you. Okay. Yeah. You ready? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Why not? Uh huh. Once, many, many years ago, there was born a son to the emperor, Keiko, the twelfth in descendant from the great Jimu, the founder of the Japanese dynasty. This prince was the second son of the emperor Keiko, and he was named Yamato. From his childhood, he proved himself to be of remarkable strength, wisdom, and courage, and his father noticed with pride that he gave promise of great things, and he loved him even more than he did his elder son. Now, when Prince Yamato had grown to manhood in the olden days of Japanese history, a boy was considered to have reached 
man's estate at the early age of 16. The realm was much troubled by a band of outlaws whose chiefs were two brothers, Kumaso and Takeru. These rebels seemed to delight in rebelling against the king. Uh-huh. That's why they call them rebels. Uh-huh. In breaking the laws and defying all authority. Again, rebels. <laughs> At last, King Keiko ordered his younger son, Prince Yamato, to subdue the brigands. And if possible, to rid the land of their evil lives. Prince Yamato was only 16 years of age. He had but reached his manhood according to the law. Yet though he was such a youth in years, he possessed the dauntless spirit of a warrior of fuller age and knew not what fear was. Even then, there was no man who could rival him for courage and bold deeds. How do you rival for courage? Uh, I dare you eat this. Yeah, he never lost. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and he received his father's command with great joy. He at once made ready to start, and great was the stir in the precincts of the palace as he and his trusty followers gathered together and prepared for the expedition, and polished up their armor and donned it. Before he left his father's court, he went to pray at the shrine of Issei to take leave of his aunt, the princess Yamato, for his heart was somewhat heavy at the thought of the dangers he had to face. I thought he knew no fear. And he felt that he needed the protection of his ancestors, Amaterasu, the sun goddess. The princess, his aunt, came out to give him glad welcome and congratulated him on being trusted with so great a mission by his father, the king. She then gave him one of her gorgeous robes as a keepsake to go with him and to bring him good luck, saying that it would surely be of service to him on his adventure. He then wished him all success in his undertaking and bade him good speed. I like this one so far. <laughs> it makes sense. No mirror so fast. So far. So far. You will be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not, it hasn't fallen off a cliff yet. Like, so far, this setup seems like reasonable, right? <laughs> Immediately, there will be a princess with a mirror. Mm-hmm. The young prince bowed low before his aunt and received her gracious gift with much pleasure and many respectful bows. I will now set out, said the prince, and returning to the palace, he put himself at the head of his troops. Thus cheered by his aunt's blessing, he felt ready for all that might befall. And marching through the land, he went down to the southern island of Kyushu, the home of the brigands. Before many days had passed, he reached the southern island. And then slowly but surely made his way to the headquarters of the chiefs Kusamo and Takeru. He now met with great difficulties, for he found the country exceedingly wild and rough. The mountains were high and steep, the valleys dark and deep, and the huge trees and boulders of rock blocked up the road and stopped the progress of his army. It was all but impossible to go on. Though the prince was but a youth, he had the wisdom of years, and seeing that it was in vain to try and lead his men further, he said to himself, To attempt to fight in battle in this impassable country unknown to my men only makes my task harder. We cannot clear the roads and fight as well. It is wiser for me to resort to stratagem and come upon my enemies unawares. In that way, I am able to kill them without much exertion. So smart. Yeah, thinking. Yeah. That's a nice one. Is is there a difference between smart and thinking? (laughs) No. No. As long as you're thinking. Yeah. Smart. 
it end up good. Yeah. So he now bade his army halt by the way. His wife, the princess, Ototachibana. <laughs> what the fuck is this, Hawaiian? Had accompanied him. Is she hot? <laughs> I no? think so. Okay, let's, let's Google it. <laughs> what? It's a boat. <laughs> so that's how this boat got his Your name. Your wife is a boat? Got her name. Okay. Nice. She's like a warrior princess. She's badass. Yeah. She looks pretty cool. They all the same face. Yeah, yeah. Guy and woman. Oh, that's really nice. But still the same face. Yep, yep, yep. So now he bade his army halt by the way. His wife, the princess Ototachibana, had accompanied him. And he bade her bring him the robe his aunt priestess of Ise had given him. And to help him attire himself as a woman. With her help, he put on the robe. And let his hair down till it flowed over his shoulders. Oto Tachibana then brought him her comb, which he put in his black tresses, and then adorned himself with strings of strange jewels, just as you see in the picture. When he had finished his unusual toilet, I don't know what that word is in this context, but that's fine. Oto Tachibana brought him her mirror. He smiled as he gazed at himself. The disguise was so perfect. He hardly knew himself, so changed was he. <laughs> You look familiar. <laughs> nice. All traces of the warrior had disappeared, and in the shiny surface, only a beautiful lady looked back at him. Oh. So this, okay. This is actually happening. Thus completely disguised, he set out for the enemy's camp alone. In the folds of his silk gown, next to his strong heart, was hidden a sharp dagger. Oh. Why not send the wife to do it? Who's... It's not dangerous. Okay. She's stronger. Okay. Yeah. The two chiefs, Kusamo and Takeru, were... War? Were war. sitting in their tent. There's like typos. <laughs> were sitting in their tent, resting in the cool of the evening when the prince approached. They were talking of the news which had recently carried to them that the king's son had entered their country with a large army determined to exterminate their band. They had both heard of the young warrior's renown, and for the first time in their wicked lives, they felt afraid. In a pause in their talk, they happened to look up and saw through the door of the tent a beautiful woman robed in sumptuous garments coming towards them. Like an apparition of loveliness, she appeared in the soft twilight. Little did they dream that it was their enemy whose coming they so dreaded who now stood before them in this disguise. When he was like, I'll use stratagems. I was thinking like, art of war. <laughs> Me too. I was thinking you just hide Like, there. okay, okay. We'll, we'll just like set like a trap or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? We'll lure them or whatever. <laughs> Spies, you know, set out their camp. Let them know the enemies are like, it's like a... But no, but... it's just dress the main guy up like a lady. <laughs> Is a part of the thing. Yeah, right. but did Zhuge Liang himself dress up as a lady? <laughs> what do you know about Zhuge Liang? Uh, Maybe he'd do that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
he went to the other Wu or whatever <laughs> as like a hot chick. I don't remember that part. <laughs> what a beautiful woman! Where has she come from? said the astonished Kusamo, forgetting war and counsel and everything as he looked at the gentle intruder. He beckoned to the disguised prince and bade him sit down and serve them with wine. Yamato felt his heart swell. <laughs> I thought he fell in love. <laughs> Never mind. Yamato Take felt his heart swell with a fierce glee, for he now knew that his plan would succeed. However, he dissembled cleverly, and putting on a sweet air of shyness, he approached the rebel chief with slow steps and eyes glancing like a frightened deer. Whoa. Wow, so good at it. Yeah, some charms. You yeah. Know? Uh huh. Yeah. But he cannot talk because it, it was the voice. Well, what if he talk like that? Can you leave? No. 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 Your voice don't match your face. Well, I'm, I don't have the. I'm not made up, you know. I got a fucking charmed to distraction by the girl's loveliness. Kusamo drank cup after cup of wine for the pleasure of seeing her pour it out for him. Till at last he was quite overcome with the quantity he had drunk. Oh. This was the moment for which the brave prince had been waiting. Flinging down the wine jar, he seized the tipsy and astonished Kusamo and quickly stabbed him to death with the dagger which, had, which he had secretly carried hidden in his breast. So brave! His- <laughs> His breast? <laughs> Takeru, the brigand's brother, was terror-struck as soon as he saw what was happening and tried to escape. But Prince Yamato was too quick for him. Ere he could reach the tent door, the prince was at his heel. His garments were clutched by a hand of iron. And a dagger flashed before his eyes, and he lay stabbed to the earth, dying but not yet dead. Wait one moment! Gasped the gr- brigand painfully, and he seized the prince's hand. Yamato relaxed his hold somewhat and said, Why should I pause, thou villain? The brigand raised himself fearfully and said, Tell me from whence you come, and whom I have the honor of addressing. Hitherto I believe that my dead brother and I were the strongest men in the land, and that there was no one who could overcome us. Alone you have ventured into our stronghold. Alone you have attacked and killed us. Surely you are more than mortal. Like, no, I just dressed up as a lady. This is not a battle of strength. And you guys are drunk. When's the last time you've seen a woman? I think they need better security. Maybe, yeah, I guess Asian people are not as sexually dimorphic, so it's a lot easier for us to pass off as a member of the opposite sex. Which is good. Still, it's not a point. It just. Oh, that's not the point? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Then the young prince answered with a proud smile, I am the son of the king, and my name is Yamato. And I have been sent by my father as the avenger of evil to bring death to all rebels. No longer shall robbery and murder hold my people in terror. And he held the dagger dripping red above the rebel's head. Ah, gasped the dying man with great effort. I have often heard of you. You are indeed a strong man to have so easily overcome us. Allow me to give you a new name. From henceforth, like, hey, I'm going to kill you. Don't (laughs) name me. What? How dare you? Like Is that animation. how it works? Like, if you kill me, I get to name you. 
your your name is Jackass. <laughs> Fucking kill me. It's they're about their man with honors. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Allow me to give you a new name. From henceforth, you shall be known as Yamato Take. Our title, I bequeath you as the bravest man in Yamato. Oh, Yamato is a place. Ah. Oh. And with these noble words, Takeru fell back and died. That's it? Uh, no, there's more. The prince, having thus successfully put an end to his father's enemies in the world, was prepared to return to the capital. On the way back, he passed through the province of Edom. Here, he met with another outlaw named Itzumo Takeru, who he knew had done much harm in the land. He again resorted to stratagem and feigned friendship with the rebel under an assumed name. Having done this, he made a sword of wood and jammed it tightly in the shaft of his own strong sword. What? This he supposedly buckled to his side and wore on every occasion when he expected to meet the third robber, Takeru. He now invited Takeru to the bank of the river Hinokawa and persuaded him to try to swim with him in the cool, refreshing waters of the river. <laughs> so finally, it's the sword that's mm. gonna be the main character. Oh, so all of that was preamble. Yeah, the dagger was used. Hey, that's just nice. start here. <laughs> As it was a hot summer's day, the rebel was nothing loath to take a plunge in the river. While his enemy was still swimming down the stream, the prince turned back and landed with all possible haste. Unperceived, he managed to change swords, putting his wooden one in the place of the keen steel sword of Takeru. Knowing nothing of this, the brigand came up to the bank shortly. As soon as he had landed and donned his clothes, the prince came forward and asked him to cross swords with him to prove his skill, saying... Let us two prove which is the better swordsman of the two. Mm. If you're going to do this, just stab him in the back. This is more fair, more like honored person people do. That matters. Is it like the, the gambling? <laughs> He's not cheating all the way. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Again, I don't agree with these morals. <laughs> I just fun, flat out disagree. No, it's one is cheating the system. One is cheating... As a dishonored person. Right, they're both bad. Not bad. There's a line of being bad. Yeah, and this crosses it. No. Imagine if this was happening to you. That'd be bullshit. And you died because of that. Not happened to me because I'm not a bad person. I see. So cheating is okay if you're doing it against a bad person. I guess that's the moral. Okay. I think you can get away with justifying a lot of things with that train of thought. (laughs) But that's fine, whatever. I don't have, like, a political... (laughs) You know what I mean? We're just reading stories from all over the world here. Uh Uh-huh. The robber agreed with delight. Feeling certain of victory, for he was famous as a fencer in his province, and he did not know who his adversary was. He seized quickly what he thought was his sword, and stood on guard to defend himself. Alas, for the rebel the sword was the wooden one of the young prince, and in vain Takeru tried to unsheathe it. It was jammed fast. Not all his exerted strength could move it. Even if his efforts had been successful, the sword would have been of no use to him, for it was of wood. Yamato Take saw that his enemy was in his power, 
and swinging high the sword he had taken from Takeru, he brought it down with great might and dexterity and cut off the robber's head. In this way, sometimes by using his wisdom and sometimes by using his bodily strength, and at other times resorting to craftiness, which was as much esteemed in those days as it is despised in these, back then it was okay to be crafty. Uh-huh. It was esteemed to be crafty. He prevailed against all the king's foes one by one and brought peace and rest to the land and the people. When he returned to the capital, the king praised him for his brave deeds and held a feast in the palace in honor of his safe coming home and presented him with many rare gifts. From this time forth, the king loved him more than ever and would not let Yamato di- and would not let Yamato Take go from his side, for he said that his son was now as precious to him as one of his arms. Yeah, but he was already your son. <laughs> but isn't that like finding he's like very good at this? He would want to use him more to use his talent. Like his arm. Like, okay, just by his side, doing nothing. I don't know, man. Okay. But the prince was not allowed to live an idle life long. When he was about 30 years old... News was brought that the Ainu race, the aboriginals of the islands of Japan who had been conquered and pushed northward by the Japanese, had rebelled in the eastern provinces, and leaving the vicinity which had been allotted to them were causing great trouble in the land. The king decided that it was necessary to send an army to do battle with them and bring them to reason. But who was to lead the men? Prince Yamato Take at once offered to go and bring the newly arisen rebels into subjection. Now, as the king loved the prince dearly and could not bear to have him go out of his sight, even for the length of one day, he was, of course, very loath to send him on this dangerous expedition. But in the whole army, there was no warrior so strong or so brave as the prince, his son, so that his majesty, unable to do otherwise, reluctantly complied with Yamato's wish. Okay. Yamato, the person, uh-huh. not the place. When the time came for the prince to start, the king gave him a spear called the Eight Arms Length Spear of the, holly, of the Holly Tree. The handle was probably made from the wood of the holly tree. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, this part we don't know. We're not sure about the, the specific details of this spear. And ordered him to set out to subjugate the Eastern Barbarians, as the Ainu were then called. The eight-arms-length spear of the holly tree in, of those days was prized by warriors just as much as the standard banner or just as much as the standard or banner is valued by a regiment in these modern days, when given by the king to his soldiers on occasion of setting out for war. The prince respectfully and with great reverence received the king's spear, and leaving the capital, marched with his army to the east. On his way, he visited, first of all, the temples of Issei for worship. Okay, I got it. (laughs) And his aunt, the princess of Yamato, and high priestess came out to greet him. She it was who had given him her robe, which had proved such a boon to him before in in helping him overcome and slay the brigands of the West. He told her all that had happened to him, and of the great part her keepsake had played in the success of the previous undertaking, and thanked her very heartily. When she heard that he was starting out once again to do battle with his father's enemies, she went into the temple and reappeared bearing a sword and a beautiful bag, which she had made herself. Hmm. And it was full of flints, 
which in those times people used instead of matches for making fire. These she presented to him as a parting gift. The sword was the sword of Morakumo, one of the three sacred treasures which comprised the insignia of the Imperial House of Japan. No more auspicious talisman of luck and success could she have given her nephew. So he visited her, his aunt every time there's a wall? Yeah. Okay, that's nice. And she bade him use it in the hour of his greatest need. Yamato Take now bade farewell to his aunt, and once more placing himself at the head of his men, he marched to the farthest east through the province of Owari, and then he reached the province of Suruga. Here, the governor welcomed the prince right-heartedly and entertained him royally with many feasts. When these were over, the governor told his guests that his country was famous for its fine deer and proposed the deer hunt for the prince's amusement. The prince was utterly deceived by the cordiality of his host, which was all feigned and gladly consented to join in the hunt. The governor then led the prince to a wild and extensive plain where the grass grew high and in great abundance. Quite ignorant that the governor had laid a trap for him and with the desire to compass his death, the prince began to ride hard and hunt down the deer, when all of a sudden, to his amazement, he saw flames and smoke bursting out from the bush in front of him. Realizing his danger, he tried to retreat, but no sooner did he turn his horse in the opposite direction that he saw that even there the prairie was on fire. At the same time, the grass on his left and right burst into flames, and these began to spread swiftly towards him on all sides. He looked round for a chance of escape. There was none. He was surrounded by fire. This deer hunt was then only a cunning trick of the enemy, said the prince, looking round on the flames and the smoke that crackled and rolled in towards him on every side. What a fool I was to be lured into this trap like a wild beast. And he ground his teeth with rage, <laughs> like me when I fall asleep. <laughs> and he's ground. <laughs> it's very cute. <laughs> and he ground his teeth with rage as he thought of the governor's smiling treachery. Dangerous as was the situation now, the prince was not in the least confounded. In his dire extremity, he remembered the gifts his aunt had given him when they parted, and it seemed to him as if she must with prophetic foresight, have divined this hour of need. Like, she... She made this happen? <laughs> she knows it's gonna be useful. Okay, read this sentence. In, this, in his dire extremity, he remembered the gifts his aunt had given him when they parted. And it seemed to him as if she... It seemed to him as if she must, with prophetic foresight, have divined... This hour of need. Uh, it like reads she, like she made this happen. She projected the needs. I see. Yeah. He coolly opened the flint bag that his aunt had given him and set fire to the grass near him. Then, drawing the sword of Morakumo from its sheath, he set to work to cut down the grass on either side of him with all speed. He determined to die if that were necessary, fighting for his life and not standing still, waiting for death to come to him. Wow, that's nice. I will die fighting for my life if it's the last thing I do. Yeah. yeah. Wow, so brave. So cutting off the burning gra- grass, that's the plan? So it will stop burning? That's not how fire works. 
I guess no cutting down the grass that had not burned yet. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so it won't burn. So it doesn't burn. Okay, smart. Yeah. I don't know. I think he should dress up as a woman. <laughs> I think that'd be smarter. <laughs> and lure the fire into a false sense of security because of how hot he is. <laughs> Literally. Okay. He determined. Uh, okay. All right. He determined to die fighting for his life. Got it. Strange to say, the wind began to change and blow from the opposite direction. And the fiercest portion of the burning bush, which had hitherto threatened to come upon him, was now blown right away from him. And the prince, without even a scratch on his body or a single hair burned, lived to tell the tale of his wonderful escape. I thought she just, like, swing the spot, like, so fast. If it come a wind, then blow away the fire. I feel like this is not a very good killing strategy if the wind can blow it for you <laughs> while the wind rising to a gale overtook the governor and he was burned to death in the flames he had set a light to kill yamato take oh, okay so you just need to go to shrine before you go to wall yeah and, and in japan if you want to win a fight you just have the wind blow in a different direction yeah <laughs> Now the prince ascribed his escape entirely to the virtue of the sword of Murakumo. Yeah, don't thank the wind. <laughs> and to the protection of Amaterasu, the sun goddess of Issei, who controls the wind and all the elements and ensures the safety of all who pray to her in the hour of danger. Lifting the precious sword, he raised it above his head many times in a token of his great respect. And as he did, he renamed it Kusanagi no Tsurugi, or the grass cleaving sword. Okay. <laughs> and the place where he set fire to the grass round him and escaped from death in the burning prairie. He called it Yaitsu. To his day, there is. Why, why do you have to name it? To <laughs> so that you can remember. To this day, there is a spot along the great Tokaido Railway named Yaitsu, which is said to be the very place. Where this thrilling event took place. Thus did the brave prince Yamato Take escape out of the snare laid for him by his enemy. He was full of resource and courage, and finally outwitted and subdued all his foes. Leaving Yaizu, he marched eastward and came to the shore at Itsu from whence he wished to cross to Katsusa. In these dangers and adventures, he had been followed by his faithful loving wife. Wh what? <laughs> where were you? Just the, some... By his faithful, loving wife, the princess Oto Tachibana. For his sake, she counted the weariness of the long journeys and the dangers of war as nothing. And her love for her warrior husband was so great that she felt well repaid for all her wanderings if she could not but hand him his sword when he sallied forth to battle or minister to his wants when he returned weary to the camp. Good woman. <laughs> You didn't have a reaction to how regressive this is. <laughs> I want to take a picture of this. <laughs> I have a theory. Uh, Women, like, they can, they can do whatever. They, they can do, like, the most regressive shit as long as, like, she wants to do it. Right? As long as she's doing it out of love, uh -huh. she can do it. Yeah. Yeah. She just can't be forced into it. Right. Okay. I don't know. I feel like there's still some, something regressive about that. 
But same thing to everyone. I think you cannot force like like under the system, women are like being leading to do like play certain roles. Yeah, but men are led to play certain roles too. I I know. Okay. Yeah, but so you you giving like more option to women, not like yeah. You cannot do that. Okay. Right. All right. Fine. I agree. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But the heart of the prince was full of war and conquest, and he cared little for the faithful Oto Tachibana. <laughs> okay. From long exposure and traveling, and from care and grief at her lord's coldness to her, her beauty had faded, and her ivory skin was burnt brown by the sun. And the prince told her one day that her place was in the palace behind the screens at home, and not with him upon the warpath. But in spite of rebuffs and indifference on her husband's part, Oto Tachibana could not find it in her heart to leave him. But perhaps it would have been better for her if she had done so. For on the way to Itsu, when they came to Owari, her heart was well nigh broken, and then she became a big freight boat, <laughs> and she carried goods across the con- the the sea to like Americans. Kingdom Hearts, you become a boat. <laughs> yep. And re- and Ansem becomes a boat. The player ma- mashed X a lot. Here dwelt in a palace shaded by nine pine trees approached by imposing gates. The princess Miyazu, a beautiful, beautiful as the cherry blossom in the blushing dawn of a spring morning. Her garments were dainty and bright, and her skin was white as snow, for she had never known what it was to be weary along the path of duty or to walk in. The heat of a summer's sun, and the prince was ashamed of his sunburnt wife in her travel-stained garments, and bade her remain behind while he went to visit the princess Miyazu. Day after day, he spent hours in the gardens and the palace of his new friend. Wow, this happened really quickly. <laughs> Thinking only of his pleasure and caring little of his poor wife, who remained behind to weep in the tent at the misery which had come into her life, yet she was so faithful a wife. And her character so patient. What is this story? What is happening? A cheating story. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I thought it was about some swords. <laughs> I think that part just ended. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's now it's about him. Yeah. Something else. Now it's about how he's a bad man. Yeah, she was so faithful a wife, and her character so patient that she never allowed a reproach to escape her lips. Or a frown to mar the sweet sadness of her face, and she was ever ready with a smile to welcome her husband back, or usher him, or usher him forth wherever he went. At the last day, when the prince Yamato Take must depart for Idzu and cross over the sea to Katsusa, he bade his fellow, <laughs> fellow wife, <laughs> hello, fellow wife. He bade his wife follow in his retinue as an attendant, while he went to take a ceremonious farewell of the princess Miyatsu. She came out to greet him dressed in gorgeous robes, and she seemed more beautiful than ever. And when Yamamoto Take saw her, he forgot his wife, his duty, and everything except the joy of the idol present, and swore that he would return to Owari and marry her when the war was over. And as he looked up when he had said these words, he met the large almond eyes of Oto. Tachibana fixed full upon him in an unspeakable sadness and wonder, 
and he knew that he had done wrong. But he hardened his heart and rode on, caring little for the pain he had caused her. When they reached the seashore at Idzu, his men sought for boats in which to cross the straits to Katsusa. But it was difficult to find boats enough to allow all the soldiers to embark. You mean enough boats. It says boats enough. To allow all the soldiers to embark. Then the prince stood on the beach, and in the pride of his strength, he scoffed and said, This is not the sea. This is only a brook. Why do you men want so many boats? I could jump this if I would. So he's gonna swim? He's gonna jump over it. <laughs> okay. When at last they had all embarked and were fairly on their way across the straits. Oh, so they made it work. Okay, <laughs> nice. The sky suddenly clouded and a great storm arose. The waves rose mountains high and the wind howled, the lightning flashed and the thunder rolled, and the boat which held Oto Tachibana and the prince and his men were tossed from crest to crest of the rolling waves till it seemed that every moment must be their last and that they must all be swallowed up in the angry sea. For Kim Jin, the dragon king of the sea, had heard Yamato Take jeer and had raised this terrible storm in anger to show the scoffing prince how awful the sea could be, though it did but look like a brook. So it did look like a brook. <laughs> I don't want to like split hairs here, but like, you know, he wasn't wrong then, right? But now it's angry. The terrified crew lowered the sails and looked after the rudder, and worked for their dear lives' sake, but all in vain. The storm only seemed to increase in violence, and all gave themselves up for lost. Then the faithful Oto Tachibana rose, and forgetting all the grief that her husband had caused her, forgetting even that he had wearied of her, in the one great desire of her love to save him, she determined to sacrifice her life to rescue him from death if it were possible. While the waves dashed over the ship and the wind whirled around them in fury, she stood up and said, Surely all this has come because the prince had angered Rinjin, the god of the sea, by his jesting. If so, I, Oto Tachibana, will appease the wrath of the sea god who desires nothing less than my husband's life. You're assuming it's nothing less. But anyway. Then addressing the sea, she said, mm-hmm. She's talking to the sea now. Mm-hmm. I will take the place of his augustness, Yamato Take. I will now cast myself into your outraged depths, giving my life for his. Therefore, hear me and bring him safely to the shore of Katsusa. With these words, she leapt quickly into the boisterous sea, and the waves soon whirled her away, and she lost, and she was lost to sight. Strange to say, the storm ceased at once and the sea became as calm and smooth as the matting on which the astonished onlookers were sitting. The gods of the sea were now appeased, and the weather cleared, and the sun shone as on a summer's day. Yamato Take soon reached the opposite shore and landed safely, even as his wife, Oto Tachibana, had prayed. That's why she's a boat. <laughs> no! Yes, good boat. I'm going to name my boat Oto Tachibana. As soon as I get one. (laughs) Okay, get one. Even as his wife Oto Tachibana had prayed, his prowess in war was marvelous, and he succeeded after some time in conquering the eastern barbarians, the Ainu. 
He ascribed his safe landing wholly to the faithfulness of his wife, who had so willingly and lovingly sacrificed herself in the hour of his utmost peril. His heart was softened at the remembrance of her, and he never allowed her to pass from his thoughts even for a moment. Too late had he learned to esteem the goodness of her heart and the greatness of her love for him. As he was returning on his homeward way, he came to the high pass of the Usui Toge. And here he stood and gazed at the wonderful prospect beneath him. The country, from this great elevation, all lay open to his sight. A vast panorama of mountain and plain and forest, with rivers winding like silver ribbons through the land. Then off he saw the distant sea, which shimmered like luminous mist in the great distance, where Oto Tachibana had given her life for him. And as he turned towards it, he stretched out his arms, thinking of her love, which he had scorned, and his faithlessness to her. His heart burst out into a sorrowful and bitter cry. Okay. He goes, Azuma, Azumaya. Oh, my wife, my wife. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And to this day, there's a district in Tokyo called Azuma, which commemorates the words of Prince Yamato Take. And the place where his faithful wife, wife leapt into the sea to save him is still pointed out. So though in life the princess Oto Tachibana was unhappy, history keeps her memory green, and the story of her unselfishness and heroic death will never pass away. Yamato Take had now fulfilled all his father's orders. He had subdued all rebels and rid the land of all robbers and enemies to the peace. And his renown was great, for in the whole land there was no one who could stand up against him. He was so strong in battle and wise in counsel. He was about to return straight for home by the way he had come, when the thought struck him that he would find it more interesting to take another route. So he passed through the province of Awari and came to the province of Omi. When the prince reached Omi, he found the people in a state of great excitement and fear. In many houses as he passed along, he saw the signs of mourning and heard loud lamentations. On inquiring the cause of this, he was told that a terrible monster had appeared in the mountains, who daily came down from thence and made raids on the villages, devouring whoever he could seize. Many homes had been made desolate, and the men were afraid to go out to their daily work in the fields, or the women to go to the rivers to wash their rice. When Yamato Take heard this, his wrath was kindled, and he said fiercely, From the western end of Kyushu to the eastern corner of Yezo, I have subdued all the king's enemies, and there is no one who dares to break the laws or to rebel against the king. It is indeed a matter for wonder that here in this place, so near the capital, a wicked monster has dared to take up his abode and to be the terror of the king's subjects. Not long shall it find pleasure in devouring innocent folk. I will start out and kill it at once. With these words, he set out for the Ibuki mountain, where the monster was set to live. He climbed up a good distance, when all of a sudden, a whining in the path, a monster serpent appeared before him and stopped the way. This must be the monster, said the prince. I do not need my sword for a serpent. I can kill him with my hands. He thereupon sprang upon the serpent and tried to strangle it to death with his bare arms. It was not long before his prodigious strength gained the mastery and the serpent lay dead at his feet. Now a sudden darkness came over the mountain and rain began to fall so that for the gloom and the rain, the prince could hardly see which way to take. In a short time, however, while he was groping his way down the pass, the weather cleared, and our brave hero was able to make his way quickly down the mountain. 
When he got back, he began to feel ill and have burning pains in his feet. So he knew that the serpent had poisoned him. So great was his suffering that he could hardly move, much less walk. So he had himself carried to a place in the mountains famous for its hot mineral springs. What is this? <laughs> Things are just happening. <laughs> Another story of his life. Mm-hmm. He just a very lucky life. Hot mineral springs which rose bubbling out of the earth and almost boiling from the volcanic fires beneath. Yamato Take bathed daily in these waters and gradually felt his strength come again, and the pains left him, till at last one day he found with great joy that he was quite recovered. He now hastened to the temples of Ise, where you will remember that he prayed before undertaking this long expedition. His aunt, priestess of the shrine, who had blessed him on his setting out, now came to welcome him back. He told him of the many dangers he had encountered, and of how marvelously his life had been preserved through all. And he praised his courage and his warrior's prowess. And then putting on her most magnificent robes, she returned thanks to their ancestress, the sun goddess Amaterasu, to whose protection they both ascribed the prince's wonderful preservation. Here ends the story of Prince Yamato Take of Japan. Yeah. His yeah. wife died. His wife was a great boat. <laughs> it's like a lifetime story. I didn't... Yeah, it's expect- like his life story. Yeah, I didn't expect that. I, I, didn't, I didn't need his life story. Yeah, I just want a, a piece of it. This is like Momotaro, right? Yeah. It just everything goes well to him. Although, the, this at least the writing was a little more competently executed. You know? But it's just like... I think she's just, he's very just blessed by the aunt, the mm-hmm. ancestor. And that's it. No other content involved. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Did you like this one better or the, uh, the Korean one? <laughs> the Korean one. Korean one is familiar. Because it's a K drama. Yeah. But this one is just an anime. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Anyway, also the leading characters are just like super lucky for no reason. And things just happen. And for them. For them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, like I've, there's no new ideas. Everything is just a, uh, um, you know, a take of a take of a take, and it feels like people who seem inspired and creative, they just have context of certain things and they just bash concepts together. Mm